Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Lord God, for our special consideration this morning is our second lesson, Romans 1, verses 18 through 25, as printed in your bulletins and already read. Dear friends in Christ, the story is told that the British writer and apologist G.K. Chesterton was once asked by the editor of a newspaper to participate in a, a special feature in which a number of well-known figures would write essays answering a single question. Chesterton replied to the request with an essay of a single sentence. Dear Sir, Regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am. As Christians with a good understanding of both original sin and our ongoing struggles against our sinful nature, we can appreciate the pithy wisdom of his answer. We understand that the problems of our world exist and grow and fester because each and every one of us is a self-centered sinner, and when we deal with each other, one-on-one, group-on-group, even nation-on-nation, well, that self-interest and innate evil of each of us is compounded. It is actually a wonder that the world isn't even more messed up than it is. But there is another way to approach the question that doesn't disagree with Chesterton, but makes another and important parallel point about the world we live in and suffer in. Lots of people would look at problems in our society and think something like, hey, I get that nobody's perfect and that we shouldn't expect paradise on earth, but still, why do things have to be so bad? And those who are comfortable criticizing their creator might even say, if God really loves us, why does he let evil run rampant? Or is he just being mean? What Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, tells us here in Romans 1, is a little different from the answers to this that we normally give and get. He talks here about what has been revealed, which means what we can see if we look, and what is evident about what is wrong with the world is that God's wrath is already being poured out against those who reject him. No, they haven't yet been sent to hell, but he is letting them get a taste of the punishment they deserve while still here on earth. Behind it, of course, is a hope that their troubles will wake them up to their need to repent and and turn to the God of grace for redemption. But if that doesn't happen, they suffer the consequences of their choices. And that affects all of us. And the more people are given over to their evil rebellion, the more it affects the society that we share with them. Corruption abounds, wickedness increases, and God's blessings are withdrawn. That's what's wrong with the world. Now at this point, plenty of people will say, but 
but that's not fair. But a loving God wouldn't punish anyone. But nobody really deserves that. And Paul anticipates all of this, and here piles up becauses in response. In fact, we could take just about everything in our text here that follows God's wrath is being revealed as an extended, and here's why. In the first place, we need to understand the the who, the what, and the whom. It is God's wrath being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who try to suppress the truth by unrighteousness. So this is certainly not Christians getting even with sinners, nor is this God getting bothered by some people and taking it out against everyone. His wrath is reserved for the wickedness of the wicked. The problem for the world, of course, is that those truth-suppressing people are all around. But what is so bad that God is so bothered? Can't he cut them? Can he cut all of us a break? After all, no one knows better than he does how weak and ignorant people can be. Why does this happen? Because because these objects of his wrath are not acting in ignorance, but are acting with knowledge and in spite of it. Now, Paul is here talking about the Gentiles of his day who who would not likely have known the Hebrew Scriptures or even the name of the Lord, but they would still have had what all people have and what we call the natural knowledge of God. When Paul spoke to the assembled intellectuals of Athens, he explained why the Lord gave evidence of his existence to everyone of every nation. He did this so they would seek God and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So the seemingly paradoxical statement that we have in verse 20 actually makes good sense. God's Invisible characteristics have always been clearly visible to man because God gave man the ability to reason out these things from what we can see. If you are taking a hike through the woods and come across a cabin, you don't say, wow, look what just grew there all by itself. No. You know that it is there because someone built it. If you notice that your great-grandfather's pocket watch has stopped working, you don't assume that you can fix it by just taking it apart and then throwing all the pieces back together in a jumble. You know that it has to go back together as it was designed to, which means that it had a design to start with, and that means that it had a designer. In the same way, when any person who has not disconnected his or her reason looks at the world, he or she should naturally come to the conclusion that what exists must have been made by someone. 
And that the breathtaking design of the stars in the sky, the intricacies of the eye, the efficiencies of the body, and, and the flora and fauna of the forest must not only have had a designer, but must have had a designer of great power and wisdom. And of course, the fact that this maker had to come before all that was made makes clear that he is eternal. We can borrow the words that we sang earlier from Psalm 19. The heavens tell about the glory of God. The expanse of the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they display knowledge. They do not speak. They say no words. Their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth and their word reaches the end of the world. In the next chapter of Romans, Paul makes reference to another aspect of the natural knowledge of God when he speaks of how the Gentiles, who did not have the written law of God, still demonstrate the work of the law that is written in their hearts, since their conscience also bears witness as their thoughts go back and forth, at times accusing or at times even defending them. So people, Paul tells us, are without excuse when it comes to God because they all know from nature and by nature that he exists and that they have an obligation to honor him, to do what pleases him and to not do what displeases him. So God's wrath against those who do not honor him or who, who, or do not even give thanks to him for their own existence and his blessings to them, his wrath is appropriate and surprising only then in that it is not more severe than it is. And when people deliberately think and act against this knowledge of God, this rebellion corrupts their reason. As Paul put it here, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless heart was darkened. You probably don't have to think too hard to come up with examples of people in our society or people you know whose rejection of God has led them to incredible feats of cognitive dissonance, pseudo-scientific fantasy, and ethical hypocrisy. They try to fathom or express the mysteries or the morals of God without acknowledging Him. And though they pile up all sorts of knowledge, they end up in ignorance. It's really just a modern form of the foolishness that Paul wrote about here, of people claiming to be wise but becoming fools, senselessly trading God for idols, trading his glory for its dim reflection, his immortality for things of mortal flesh. It is no more wise for people today to take the Lord and his glory and exchange it for for science, technology, progress, the environment, social justice, or whatever thing that they might give their hearts and minds to. And as our reading from Isaiah 46 today reminded us, the Lord is the only God, and he suffers no competition. Those who presume to challenge his uniqueness, power, or authority end up only 
with terror and shame. And not only that, Paul gives us another because to explain why God shows his anger against these rebels. So as they followed the sinful desires of their hearts, God handed them over to the impurity of degrading their own bodies among themselves. This, probably more than anything else, is what Christians in our society are likely to point to as evidence of what's wrong with the world. The verses that follow our text clearly describe what we see in our own culture just as much as they describe what the Romans would have seen in theirs. And so I will simply read them without comment. For this reason, God handed them over to disgraceful passions. Even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, their males, after abandoning natural sexual relations with females, were consumed by their lust for one another. Males perform indecent acts with males and receive in themselves the penalty that is fitting for their perversion. And since they did not consider it worthwhile to hold on to the true knowledge of God, God handed them over to a corrupted mind to do things that should never be done. They are filled with every kind of unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarreling, deceit, and malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent mockers, arrogant boasters, and loudmouths. They dream up evil things. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and merciless. Even though they know God's righteous decree that those who do these things are worthy of death, such people not only continue to do them, but also approve of others who continue to commit such sins. And so God's wrath is revealed against all this ungodliness and unrighteousness, against all these people who have chosen to act against their better knowledge and their consciences. Paul gives one more because as explanation in verse 25. Such people have traded the truth about God for the lie, worshiping and serving the creation rather than the Creator. Those who prioritize what they feel above everything else, those who pursue the pleasures of the flesh, those who center their lives around man-made ideas of justice, those whose greatest purpose in life is to serve the environment and advance its interests, and those who set a completely naturalistic idea of science with no room for the supernatural as the only source of knowledge and authority. All of these have made a fool's exchange. The truth about God for the lie, the creation for its creator. It's all pretty grim, isn't it? But there's no need for despair. There is hope for us and for them. Because God's wrath against such rebellion is not the only thing revealed to us. It's actually what Paul really wanted to talk about, but had to digress into this disheartening discussion of disobedience and its consequences. The two verses right before our text are nothing but good news. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed by faith for faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now the problem with me, with you, and with all the world 
is that we lack the righteousness required to please our Creator and qualify for heaven. And not only are we not holy, we are sinners through and through, by nature and by daily practice. For this, we deserve God's wrath and punishment. And because of this, despair should fill our hearts. Not only because death and hell await us, not only because we end up living without God's blessing here on earth, but also because we are forced to recognize that we can do nothing to change anything about this. We cannot take away our own sin. We cannot prove that we're basically good or good enough to deserve a break from the Almighty. We cannot do anything to balance out our sin with good works because our works could never be perfectly good and that still wouldn't remove the offense of our rebellion. We cannot create our own righteousness in order to be saved. But the good news, the Holy Spirit wants us and all people to know and so He has revealed it to us, is that the righteousness we need is given to us by God. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ and His work, our sins are washed away by His blood shed on the cross. Our sentence to death and hell is is canceled and it's replaced with eternal life in heaven. And His perfection has made our perfection. Salvation is given to us in the Gospel so that all may believe it and be saved. And so we have hope, confidence, and comfort even as we see and suffer from all that is wrong with ourselves and with the world. In Romans 8, Paul speaks of creation itself being in slavery to corruption and says, for we know that all of creation is groaning with birth pains right up to the present time. And not only creation, but also we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. It's like the situation pictured in the parable Jesus gave us in our gospel today. Things seem grim while the weeds are mixed in with the wheat. But when the harvest comes, the wheat will be gathered in and the weeds will be burned in the fire they were destined for. In the same way, we can be confident that while hope seems hard to find, when the evidence of God's wrath against unbelieving sin is or surrounds us 24-7, the Lord still has everything under His perfect, powerful, and loving control. God and His grace is everything that is right with the world. His Son, Jesus Christ, is our and all people's Savior and our sure and certain hope of heaven, of a great and final exchange of our mortality for immortality, of our imperfection for purity, when we, the righteous, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. This is the Gospel. The power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So believe it and have His joy and righteousness instead of wrath. Embrace what He has made right with the world. Amen. Please rise. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.